Welcome to Passion. For more information about Passion, please visit us online at www.passionchurch.tv. Now let's join the service already in progress.
two. How many of you were around one last week? A few of you, all right? We dealt last week with the cage of fear. And you'll remember I told you some things about fear. First of all, I told you that fear will make you make the wrong choices. Remember that? If you're afraid, you'll make stupid choices. And then I told you that fear sets limits on you. Remember that? If you're afraid of heights, you won't ever go high, right? And then I told you also, get my brag out of there, I also told you that, um, Fear messes with your perspective because you won't see yourself right, you won't see God right, and you won't see others right. And I told you last week you have to face your fears. All right, so this week we're going round two, cage, a different cage. And one of the things you need to know, how many of you watch a little bit of cage fighting? Come on, admit it. All right, some of the guys, none of the, oh, a girl right, yeah, there we go, in the back, yeah, I hear you. So you know some things about cage fighting. One of the things that you find out in cage fighting is this. The most dangerous fighters have a varied bag of skills. For instance, uh, uh, if you come up against an opponent that all he can do is strike, he can hit and he can kick, then you know going up against him what you need to do is take him to the ground because he won't be able to defend the ground. And if you can get him to the ground, you can defeat him easily. Or if you come up against uh, one of the cage fighters that's really skilled on the ground because they know jujitsu and wrestling, then you know all I got to do is I got to defend against the takedowns and while I've got him on his feet, I'm going to pound away at him, right? The most dangerous ones are the ones that know how to put it all together. They're dangerous on their feet. They're dangerous on the ground. But there's another element that makes an opponent dangerous. You hear this talked about a lot by the commentators when you're watching cage fighting. And what they'll say is, is that a person who has no experience in the octagon is susceptible. Because the more experience you have inside the cage, they call it the caged ring, although it's not really a ring, it's an octagon. They say the one that has more fights, more experience, gets comfortable in the cage and becomes accustomed to using the cage to their advantage. And if you don't have experience in the cage, you're in trouble. So the more experienced a fighter is, the more of an opposition they present. And so this morning what I want to do is I want to talk to you about the second cage because this particular cage has a wide array of skills and is very experienced. And we're going to talk about the cage of death. Now, the dictionary of biblical imagery paints a picture of death that I think is probably the best picture of death I've ever read. It says this. It says, death is the greatest of humankind's enemies, a relentless grim reaper that shows no respect for age or wealth. It robs parents of a precious child, leading them to mourn the loss for the rest of their lives. It deprives wives and children of their breadwinner and protector, leaving them vulnerable in a hostile world. It takes away an aging spouse, 
leaving a gray-haired senior citizen without a lifelong companion and closest friend. Sometimes it arrives suddenly and unannounced. At other times it approaches slowly as if stalking or taunting its helpless victim. Sometimes it hauls away its victims in mass, and other occasions it targets individuals. It uses a variety of methods and weapons, but only rarely does it capture its prey without inflicting pain and terror. Power, beauty, and wealth can usually overcome any obstacle, but in death they meet their match. Pretty vivid illustration of what death is in most of our experiences. Today is Easter Sunday, and you go, well, Steve, you're supposed to talk about life on Easter. You're not supposed to talk about death. But what I need you to understand this morning is that unless you deal with death, you cannot experience life. We go through our life on a daily basis dealing with death. It's always around us. It's always knocking on the door. And so we must deal with and examine the concept of death. And what we understand is that death is well experienced. Because if you look back over the scope and the landscape of our existence as humanity, you recognize that death entered the script very early on. The first mention of death that we've ever found is in Genesis chapter 2. You know this account. God steps up and he says this about death. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 15 through 17, it says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. So death has been a long uh, around for a long time. God acts like Bruce Buffer. Now, again, if you don't watch uh, cage fighting, you have no idea who Bruce Buffer is. But Bruce Buffer is the professional announcer that heralds the, the uh, entry of the fighters into the octagon. And that's what God is acting like. He steps up and he says, in this corner, there is this opponent called death. And he's a fierce foe. He weighs in at unstoppable. You know what I'm, he, he's huge. He's this massive opponent that you've got to take on and yet we know the rest of the story see in Genesis chapter 3 we know the fact that Adam and Eve did eat from the tree and we know that in fact they didn't die so maybe death isn't as bad as we thought it was. Maybe God overestimated the ability of this opponent. Maybe he's not as well skilled and experienced as we thought he was or maybe we don't understand God's concept of death because when God says in Genesis chapter 2, if you eat from this tree, you will die. The original language there, the word for death there, doesn't mean physical death. It literally means separation. So what God is saying is if you eat from this tree, you will be eternally separated and isolated from me. And isn't that a well, more well-developed and more rounded definition of death? Because isn't that what happened? When they ate from the tree, the daily walk stopped. The daily interaction came to a cease. The unbroken relationship is now shattered and destroyed by death, by separation. They were alive physically, but they were separated from God. So death has become experienced. It's been around a long time. But we also discovered, and we will talk about it a little bit this morning, that not only is death experienced, death has a varied bag of skills. Because death doesn't just impact us physically, it, it has aspects and reaches into all kinds of areas in our life. It doesn't just, just knock us out and kill us in our physical body, it has other implications. And so what I want to talk to you about this morning for just a few minutes is the three rounds of death. I've already dealt with the first one. The first round of death is physical death. 
But there's another round that is, let me illustrate it from Scripture. We find it in John chapter 18, verse 26, and you know the story. Jesus is being marched towards crucifixion, and Peter is trying to follow him. And everywhere he stops, somebody recognizes him and accuses him of being with Jesus. And twice he has denied it until we get to John chapter 18, verse 26. And now it's the third time, and he doesn't want to be exposed as one of Jesus' followers. And listen to what happens. It says, one of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, challenged him. Didn't I see you with him in the olive grove? And again, Peter denied it. And at that moment, a rooster began to crow. So Jesus is, as he's sitting there uh, battling physical death, Peter is impacted by this opponent called death in an entirely different manner because now Peter is isolated. He's separated emotionally and spiritually from God. He's just denied his best friend. He's just betrayed the Savior of his soul. He's just turned his back on the one that loved him and who had called him. And he finds himself spiritually isolated from Jesus. In fact, if you go on and read the same account in Mark, Mark says that Peter actually broke down and wept. So there is a spiritual separation that takes place. But then you go on and you read in John chapter 21, verse 2 and 3, you find the third round of death because now Peter and some of the other disciples are together together. And it says this, Simon Peter, Thomas called Didymus, Nathaniel from Canaan, Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and the two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. You say, what does that have to do with death? Nobody dies in this story. Yes, they do. They're dead emotionally. Notice, if you will, that the disciples are fishing again. Please don't uh, misunderstand the verses of Scripture that I just read to you. This was not some short trip to Lake Texas. Texoma to catch striper over the weekend. These were professional fishermen that had laid down their nets and had turned their back on their professional occupation to now become fishers of men. And now they go back to what they had done before. You know what that passage of Scripture is teaching us? They had given up hope. They had quit. They had thrown in the towel. They, they, had, they had absolved themselves from, I, I, I am not going to have anything to do with this anymore. Jesus was alive. Now he's dead. All hope is gone. My destiny is gone. The plans, the dreams I had for my life with him and the call that he placed on my life is over. And so we see that death impacted these men emotionally. It's the three rounds of death. So my question to you this morning is how does death impact us? And the answer is the exact same way. This cage of death that we have to learn to battle through and to deal with impacts us in the same three realms. The first I mentioned is physical death. And the old saying is true. The only, thing that, the only two things that are guaranteed in life are death and taxes. And one's coming this week. And hopefully it's the latter of the two. But... The reality is, is that Jesus, or, or that Scripture makes us a lot of promises, but one of the promises that he makes to us in Scripture that I don't like is this, it's appointed unto man once to die. Death is coming. Death is down there somewhere. It's on the track somewhere. We are approaching death daily. In fact, I would like to say to you this morning, like it or not, you were born dying. We go through life dying a physical death. Our physical life will come to an end. Exercise all you want. 
Take all the cholesterol pills you want. Take your vitamins if you want to. Run a marathon if you want to. Stretch if you want to. The truth of the matter is, is that you will still die. There is no fountain of youth. You will die. So how do we deal with death? Well, most of Americans do this. They ignore it. They just don't think about it. I don't want to think about death. That's out there somewhere. So I'm just going to live life to the fullest. Or we make beer commercials that say, go for the gusto. Or we make movies that teach us to make a bucket list and write down all the things that we can accomplish in our life that at the end of our life we could mark them all off and say, that's a successful life. But we never stop and think about death. I'm going to live life just for today. The problem with that thinking is this. That kind of thinking never begs the question that must be asked, and it is this, what about after this life? What are we going to do after we die a physical death? We must deal with that because if we don't, the cage of death, physical death will separate us permanently from God and from those that we love. So we must deal with physical It's naive. Can I say it a little more bluntly? It's stupid not to think about our final demise and to make plans. And I'm not talking about funeral plans because you won't be here to see them anyway. We've got to make plans for that journey because we are going to take that journey. But the second way that death impacts us is the same way it impacted the disciples. There is emotional death. The, the enemy, the cage of death is well-versed and well-skilled and multifaceted. We think we just got to deal with the physical death. Oh, no, death is more varied than that, and death can impact us emotionally as well. Can I just be honest with you this morning? Life is hard. Life is no fairy tale. At some moment in your life, you are going to encounter tragedy. In some moment in your life, there are going to be hardships. In some moment in your life, there are going to be broken hearts somewhere around you, and it might just be your own. And if we're not careful, we will wind up in the disciples' boat where we want to quit and throw in the towel and say, I'm done, I've done all I know to do, and I'm tired, and I've given up. And we refuse to hold on to destiny. I wrote some things down that may describe you. Like, for instance, maybe your marriage is a lot tougher than you thought it was going to be. Maybe you always thought she was going to put on makeup every day of her life. Maybe you always thought that your, your man was always going to be courteous and open doors for you. Maybe you thought it was always going to be flowers and nice meals and romantic. And, and when they wake up in the morning, they would look just like they did when, when they went to bed. And, and they wouldn't have morning break. Can I tell you, it's not always like that. It's not always storybook. Or maybe for you, it's a child that's rebelled. They were supposed to grow up obedient. They were supposed to be good because you were good, and I trained them up the way they should go. And now I'm depending on them to live their life righteously. And they derail, and they go off the deep end, and we're standing there emotionally devastated and dead. Maybe you lost the job. Maybe the promotion passed you by. Maybe sickness has overtaken your body. Maybe debt has mounted and you find yourself where the disciples found themselves separated. The trials and cares of life separate you from God. Albert Schweitzer said something I think is very incredible. He said the tragedy of life is what, is what dies inside a man while he, die, while he lives. The tragedy of life is what dies inside a man while he lives lives. 
There's physical death. There's emotional death. But there's also spiritual death. And Scripture is very clear about what causes us to die spiritually. In fact, all you have to do is turn to Romans chapter 6, verse 23, and it says, The wages of sin is what? Death, separation. When we sin and we don't live a holy life, it separates us from God. In fact, Jesus comes along and he tells us that the enemy's ultimate goal is not just to kill us physically and not just to destroy us emotionally, but the the enemy of our soul wants to kill, steal, and destroy our lives spiritually. The greatest death that you can die is to be dead spiritually. I want to tell you something this morning. If you're dead spiritually, no amount of activity, no amount of money, no other relationship, can satisfy the longing of your heart and fill that hole there. Because when you're spiritually dead, you are separated from God. Now, what's the good news? Boy, I'm glad I came to church on Easter and heard the preacher talk about death. Boy, that's encouraging. I thought this was supposed to be about Easter eggs and Easter bunnies, and we're all excited and dancing and shouting and all that stuff. What's the good news? The good news this morning is that if, I know you're not dead physically yet, um, touch your neighbor, make sure they're still breathing. I think they're still alive. All right, we, you're not dead yet. So, so if, if you're not dead physically, then the reality is that some of you sitting in here could very well be dead emotionally or spiritually, and you want some good news. May I give you the good news? The good news is this. It is Easter. That is the good news because the good news this morning, the message of Easter is not only that death was confronted, but death was defeated and that the opponent of our soul called death was destroyed at Calvary. And when Jesus rose up from the grave, he produced life not only in him, but life in us too. That is the good news this morning. And so what Jesus does is he comes along and he replaces physical death with physical life. You can hear Jesus' victory cry in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 55. It tells us how he felt. He said, Jesus cries out, where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? I don't know if you watched professional wrestling when you were growing up. It's not like it was now. It was really good way back then. And I used to watch, there was this one guy I really liked a lot. His name was Ric Flair, the nature boy. You know who I'm talking about because he always went, what do you do? Right, But there was one thing that set Ric Flair apart from all the other professional wrestlers. You know what it was? His strut. He knew how to strut, man. He could strut across the the ring when he was winning, and he'd give that little woo. Right? I want to tell you something. Jesus knew how to strut, too. Can I I show you where he struts? He struts in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 17 and 18. Listen, he says, don't fear. I'm the first, I'm the last, I'm alive, I died, but I came to life now, and my, my life is now forever. See these keys in my hand, Woo! he's strutting a little bit, pointing his finger in the devil's face. See these keys in my hand, they open and lock death's doors, they open and lock hell's gates. Because when he died physically, he produced physical life for us. That's why Paul could come on the scene and say to live is Christ, but to die is gain. He understood that physical death is only a doorway we walk through to get to real life. We don't have to fear physical death anymore. It's been defeated. And that would be great 
if that was all there was. And we could shout and sing just as much as we had this morning if that's all there was. But Jesus said, you know what, that's not enough. There's a separating aspect of death. It's not just about physically dying. Death is being separated from my Father. So Jesus goes two steps further. And now he gives us emotional life in the place of emotional death. And he deals with the separating aspects of death. That's why Paul could come along in Romans chapter 8, verse 34 and 30 through 39 and say this, the one who died for us, who was raised to life for us, is in the presence of God at this very moment sticking up for us. Do you think anyone is going to be able to drive a wedge between us and Christ's love for us? There is no way. Listen to what he dissolves. No, not trouble, not hard times, not hatred, not hunger, not homelessness, not bullying threats, not backstabbing, not even the worst sins listed in Scripture. They kill us in cold blood but because they hate us. We're sitting ducks. They pick us off one by one. None of this phases us because Jesus loves us. I'm absolutely convinced that nothing, everybody say that with me, nothing, Nothing, living or dead, angelic or demonic, today or tomorrow, high or low, thinkable or unthinkable, absolutely nothing can get between us and God's love because of the way that Jesus, our master, has embraced us. I got good news for you this morning. If you're emotionally devastated, his life has dealt you a bad hand. I don't have a cliche like if life gives you lemon, make lemonade. I don't have one of those. The hope I have for you is that Jesus in one moment on the cross and when he raised up from the dead on the third day, in one moment he dealt with the separating aspects of death and nothing can separate you from Christ Jesus, including emotional death. Jesus deals with emotional death in the life of the disciples. You go back and read the rest of the story. The disciples fished all night, caught nothing. Jesus shows up on the beach and has fish waiting on them. He calls them over to the fire. They begin to eat. And Jesus tells this, uh, Peter to ask him three times, do you love me? And three times Peter says, you know I love you, Lord. And Jesus says, feed my sheep. Three times he says that at the end of their dialogue and their conversation, Jesus says, come and follow me and I will make you fishermen. He's reinstating all their dreams. He's reinstating all their destiny. He deals with emotional death like Habakkuk the prophet promises us that right in the midst of the years, Right when everything has gone wrong and you want to throw in the towel and quit. Right when you're ready to give up and turn your back on God and turn your back on hope. Can I tell you this morning that right in the midst of the years, he will revive us again. Joel jumps on the bandwagon and he says that God will restore us all the years that the destructive things. And he begins to list the locust, the worst kind of locust to the least effective kind of locust. And he says God can restore all that, all the bad things that happen on in your life, the things that nobody noticed, the worst to the least, the deepest, to the darkest, Jesus is saying, I can fix it all. And then finally, the greatest victory that Jesus won when he came up out of the grave was that he won for us spiritual life. Now we have the ability to to not be spiritually separated from God. I read to you Romans chapter 6, verse 23, but maybe we ought to revisit that passage of Scripture because I read to you where it says that the wages of sin is death, but we need to finish that portion of Scripture because it says the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus once and for all conquers the spiritual death that we would know if we didn't know There's a fictional story that 
I recall, it's about a man who his job was to pull one lever. That was his only job. You've probably heard this story, but I think it's so appropriate for us today. He sat in a little shack on the side of a railroad next to the bridge that spanned the river. His job was to pull the lever. The bridge would have to swing out of the way so when there was no train coming, the boats could come by and go by without any restriction. But when the train was coming, he was supposed to pull the lever and it would swing back so the train could come across. And the story's told that one day he sees the train off in the distance. He hears the whistle and he begins, he reaches down to pull the lever to swing the bridge. The, swings, the bridge starts swinging into place and he hears out of his window a small voice saying, Daddy! Where are you? And to his dismay, he looks out his window, and in the path of that bridge, swinging, he sees his four-year-old son standing there, and he recognizes this fact. If I don't stop the bridge, it will crush and kill my son. But if I don't pull the lever, that whole trainload of folks will perish. And without another thought, as it agonized his heart, he reached down and pulled the lever, and everybody on the train was spared. That is the perfect example and picture of what Jesus has done for God the Father looked out over heaven and said, if I don't pull the trigger on this, if I don't swing the bridge into place, if I don't make a way where there was no way, if I don't span the divide at the cost of the life of my own son, if I don't step in and cause that sacrifice to take place, They'll die. They'll be separated. And without hesitation, before any of us were even around, think about that a moment. It would have been one thing if we'd have been around and he'd, he'd got to know us and go, man, I really like them. They're really cool. But the Bible says that before the foundations of the earth, before there was one soul walking on this planet, God made up his mind that there needed to be redemption offered, and he, sl he slew the lamb before the foundation of the earth. You know why he did it? For you. That's why we can celebrate on Easter. That's why I can stand up here and shout, it is finished. That's why I can declare, death, where is your sting? And oh, death, where is your victory? That's why in the words of uh, Robert uh, Webster, I, sometimes I just want, I wish I could sing because I'd stand up here and I'd sing. I know it's an old hymn, but I'd sing it anyway. It goes like this, up from the grave he arose, a mighty triumph o'er his foes. He rose a victor from the dark domain and he lived forever with his saints to reign. He arose, he arose, hallelujah, Christ arose. That is the good news. Because without Christ coming back from the dead, we would constantly be caged up by death. Physical death, yes. But death is more faceted than that. It can kill you emotionally. And worse than that, it can devastate you spiritually. The good news is this morning, the sacrifice has been made and all you have to do is say, Jesus, I need your help. I can't win this battle on my own. But I need you to step in. He took on our opponent. He took out our opponent. If we stayed caged up by death, it's because we were there on our own and decided to stay there because provision has been made. I want you to stand with me this morning. 
I know you're not physically dead this morning. My question is, are you dead emotionally? What hand has life dealt you that's so painful and so tragic? What has gone wrong in your life so badly that now you find yourself broken and hurt and ready to quit and give up and throw in the towel? The good news is that the answer for that is Jesus. But the more important question for you this morning is, are you alive spiritually? Because if you are separated from God, you are indeed dead. You can go through the course of your life and work a job and make a good living and get married and have children and do the things that we call life. But hear me this morning. If you don't know Christ as your personal Savior on this Easter morning, you are as dead as if you were laying in a casket. Because you will be constantly and forever separated from God. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, this morning I'm praying for those that are emotionally devastated. I know under the sound of my voice there has to be somebody that's ready to quit, give up, throw in the towel. Life has been hard. Life wasn't what they thought it was going to be. It was more difficult. There's been tragedy. There's been circumstances that have changed that have derailed them from their destiny. Father, I pray that in the name of Jesus right now, they would see in their mind's eye and in their spirit, they would see your son Jesus walking onto their life and giving them hope again. And they would hear you say to them again, you still have a destiny. I still have a plan for you. There's still a purpose. And I know it's been hard, but I'm right here with you and you cannot be separated by anything high or anything low or anything hard or anything hurtful or anything that's deadly or anything that is hurtful. I'm here for you and nothing can separate us now. And I pray that you would bring emotional life to everyone under the sound of my voice and I pray that they would hang on and I pray that you would give them hope and I pray that you'd give them courage and give them strength to just believe to believe what you've said about them. But Father, my biggest concern this morning on Easter morning, because I recognize this morning, God, more people come to church on Easter than any other day of the year. Some of us, this is the only day we come. Father, my bigger concern this morning is whether or not we're alive spiritually. Father, if there's one under the sound of my voice that is separated from you, either they've never asked Jesus to take control of their life and to live in their hearts, or they asked a long time ago and they've strayed from that relationship and now they find themselves separated. Father, this morning, I pray that you would heal that relationship and heal that death in their life right now. Nobody looking around, every head bowed, every eye closed. This is between you and God. If you're here this morning, you say, Steve, I'm dead spiritually. There, there is a wedge that has been driven between me and God, and I can't seem to get to God. And I need him to bridge that gap. And I want to ask Jesus into my life and to make him the savior of my life because I don't want to die spiritually and I want to experience life more abundantly. If there's one that needs Jesus in your life this morning, would you just quickly raise your hand and pull it back down? I promise I won't embarrass you. We're just going to get our relationship correct. Is there one? Anyone? This morning we had 
an individual that gave their heart and life to Jesus, is there anyone that wants to join them this morning? Take the hand of the person next to you right now. We're going to pray this together. I want us to make sure. I want you to repeat this after me. Jesus, I ask you to come into my heart. I give you my life. I give you my dreams. I give you my emotions. I give you my spiritual condition. Produce life in me. I make you my Lord. I make you my Savior. And I celebrate new life this morning. And I give you my everything. In Jesus' name. And Father, this morning we praise the one who paid our debt. He didn't have to do it. He was home free. But he came into our neighborhood to produce life and defeat the cage of death. And we're thankful this morning. Come on, as we leave and celebrate Easter this morning, can you sing this one more time? stop celebrating life and life more abundantly. I pray that as we go through the course of our week, we would begin to help people around us fight out of the cage of death and we would offer them hope in their emotions and hope in their spiritual life and if they're dealing with physical death of someone they love, that they're close help us to produce life in them. We will celebrate your life, Jesus, because you won we win and we give you praise and we give you glory and we worship you in Jesus name and everybody said amen I want you to do two things one on your way out of the building three things one if you're a visitor get your cookies two if you're if you will stop by the kids center and see what's going on over there but three I want you to turn Ric Flair on somebody and turn around and go woo see the keys see the keys then you're free to go
It's been a privilege to have you join us for this time of ministry. To find more past resources or to make a donation online, visit www.passionchurch.tv. Remember, you can't live without passion. 